Hi everyone, welcome to Step Zero. I'm very happy to introduce you to our next guest, um, Albert Alabao from Barcelona. He's an HR people professional who has agreed to join us and discuss a couple of very, very interesting and exciting topics related to mental health at work and maybe some further topics as well down the line. And we're really excited to hear his feedback and view on things. Uh, and this being said, we're also going to be touching on a lot of interesting topics that we haven't touched on before. So Albert, I would like to welcome you to the Steps Hero family. We're extremely happy to have you here. And I would love it if you could maybe introduce yourself a little bit in, in, in your words and also let us know and let our audience know what brought you to Steps Hero and what's your personal experience with mental health in the workplace. Uh, so hi, uh, Dora. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, pleasure. Um, uh, what let, let me let me start with my uh, my presentation. No, uh, like you were uh, asking, I'm an HR professional. Um, I started uh, in HR in the early 2000s, uh, when in Spain it was pretty much still, you know, like um, the admin side of HR and and looking you now for a ray of light into applying uh, more modern uh, practices. Unfortunately, back then only available in some uh, global companies. Um, and learning, learning by doing a lot uh, of things by asking. The, the internet was not what it is uh, today, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, out of a lot of curiosity, you know, trying to network, trying to meet people, and trying to understand uh, how could we build, you no, know, better working environments, you no, know, where um, something that sounded a bit naive back then, and, and unfortunately for some people, it still sounds naive, no? Environments where people could, could thrill, no? And, and, and could enjoy uh, working, no? Um, moving forward, I, I started in, uh, in uh, smaller companies, uh, doing uh, consulting uh, on the HR, uh, labor, and compliance side of things. Quickly move to having uh, HR generalist roles, but mostly on the operations, uh, labor and compliance bit. Uh, but I was, even if I, I felt that I was uh, good at it, technically speaking, I felt that something was missing. No, my, my, the reason why I, I moved into HR was to help people. No? And I felt that uh, to help people shine no? and thrill, like I was saying. And I felt that someone was, was missing uh, for me to honor this will, no, to, to really thrill and, and enjoy what I was doing so far. And that's when I decided to do a master's degree in HR. That was 2008. And that was completely mind-blowing. Not, not, not because of the master's per se, but because of the people I met um, and because of the teachers I had. Some of them were like bringing, you know, a ton of new concepts, ideas, um, that open a huge window uh, of opportunities. And since then, I moved more on um, the, the softer side or started exploring more the softer side, becoming an HR manager, becoming a nature partner later in a company that scaled uh, Alstom, a uh, company that was growing super fast from 600 to uh, nearly 2,000 people in just three years. So it was the first time I was close to... Um, hypo growth or very very fast growth globally i had a lot of fun i learned a lot about recruitment i learned about uh development i learned about learning i learned about uh, organizational development and i also learned what not to do you know uh somehow uh and back then i fell in love with technology more the the software side of uh, our business and after you know like uh the first time I ex that i explored the impact of uh, mental health uh, that was 
late 2012, early 2013, when we did a massive layoff and I really saw, you know, like people struggling, people that had put their heart and soul uh, in what they were doing for many years, all of a sudden being told you are not necessary anymore. And even if the package and the company was really trying to, to help people transition out in a, in a very positive way from a compensation point of view, I felt that uh, that, that transition could have been done differently. No? Like, uh, and that was the first time where I experienced uh, um, or I, I got familiar with what the burnout uh, can be, um, seeing it in others and seeing it in myself. Uh, and that was a, you know, a, a huge uh, wake up call uh, for me as a professional and um, for me as a person, both. Um, long story short, after that, I moved into te pure technology, into pure software um, in a company that also grew a lot. And I also experienced, you no, know, like uh, these two realities, you no, know, people that are in more traditional distance and people that are more in software. What are the differences, you no? Know? And, and that's something that I, I, I would love to also explore with you today um, because these kind of companies also do attract uh, some uh, specific personalities sometimes. So some specific uh, um, moments in a career of a person that might boost um, their career, but might also, you know, raise uh, the potential risk of uh, having issues with mental health, uh, health and burnout. No, um, it's uh, it, they can be addictive, uh, which is amazingly good if you're having fun, and it's not amazingly. Uh, positive when you are suffering. No? Um, and since then, since 2013, I've been in uh, software startups that have been growing. Uh, all of them have been growing a lot. Some of them have gone amazingly well, uh, like Travelperk, my, my previous uh, company. Uh, I joined very early stage. We were uh, less than 20 people. And, and when I left, we were around 200 and they have been growing since. Um, and since uh, a bit more than a year, early uh, 2019, I'm at Thai firm a company whose product I love. Uh, I, I loved since uh, they started using the product, even in a beta version. And when I had the opportunity to join them and you know, help uh, Typhoon take this to the next level, uh, I didn't hesitate. No? Um, and, and since then I'm, I'm here, I'm having fun and uh, trying to help the company and uh, the Typhoomers you know, uh, thrill and, and bring joy to the journey, which is also one of our values. Um, Second question was what appealed me to, to talk to you. Uh, we started, we engaged uh, on LinkedIn. We started having a discussion. And uh, the, remember the, one of the first conversations, maybe it was in February, something like that. And you said that it would be worth to talk about, you know, like mental health. And, and my first reaction was like, Dora, I'm happy to help you in any way, shape or form. But honestly, I wouldn't recall myself as an expert, no? So I think that somehow that break the ice for the, uh, the, the two parts to, to engage on a conversation and also myself referring a colleague who is uh, working, you know, uh, on, a, on a project in mental health space that you have also been in touch with. Um, I think that that opened the space to get to know a little bit more, no? Like, uh, what were your starting point? What were you doing? And and I connected a lot uh, with you, Mateo. And and I I think that you you know like the starting point uh, that uh, you're having with Step Zero is not only um, super interesting but very necessary. You no, know? uh, and uh, here am I. I don't know if I'm missing anything. Uh, I didn't take notes, but uh, and I hope I I didn't expand myself too much. Feel free to interrupt me. I have a tendency to speak a lot, so. 
hate them we're sparring here because both me and i'm so glad that Mateo is right now not part of this conversation because he talks even more than i do so i think we would have a good conversation <laughs> <there>. <laughs> So first of all, that was a bombastic introduction. I'm really, really happy that you um, you went through the experiences, your background, and, and I took quite some notes that I actually would love to, to refer back to. Before I do that, though, um, I want to make sure that we make a reference because you walked us through your experience as well, so that our audience is aware that whatever we talk about today is a representation of your background, your opinion, and your expertise. You're not representing your organizations from before or their opinions. It's on your behalf that we're touching on these, on these topics. And with that being said, I want to take the chance to say thank you uh, first to, to actually touch on the complexity of, of human resources and people leading positions because Often, as you said, a lot of companies are still in the stage where, where they're looking at just, you know, the administration parts of, of HR. And there's a lot of other things that, that are behind that. And there's so many things that we need to realize. It's not just a payroll topic. It's not just holidays. It's not just layoffs or about topics. It's, it's really the responsibility that these people, leaders, and individuals take for the people that they're actually working with. And you said you want to see people thrive. You want to see them shine. That's exactly what I feel is the greatest description of, of people in people leading positions, that level of responsibility and, and that understanding of what they're here to do and, and what they need to do for, for others. I think that's a very interesting um, journey that you're, you're touching on and you went through as well. And I'm really happy that we managed to actually convince you to, to, to get with us and, and, and to really start this conversation. And we have to make a shout out to Javier here. I really hope that he's listening. He has to, because he's definitely the one person that you were referring to from, from Travel Perk. We love the, the opportunity and the conversation that we connected. And we hope we're going to be able to do the same with you. And that's where I feel that your experience can really bring a lot to us. And that's, that brings me to my first point that was really, really interesting from, from your introduction. The differences between individuals, different businesses, right? Software-driven or more traditional businesses. You wanted to touch on that as well. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. What do you see as being the bigger differences? Where do, you, where do these differences start? Where do they become addictive? What does that mean? Talk us through that, please, because I think that's a topic that we all need to hear about because at the end of the day, everyone is different. We all have different personalities. And as you said, personality types have a major influence on certain reactions or collaboration of an individual within an organization. Uh, thanks and shout out to Javier as well. Um, I, I, I discovered it the hard way myself. No, like I told you, I had seen what I considered that was fast growth between 2009 and 2012 um, in a traditional uh, company, no, like an industrial company, but growing very fast. Uh, but still, we had processes, we had tools, uh, we had uh, guidelines of uh, what to do, and then our biggest challenge was to operate within them and localize them to each country, no, and do it as fast as possible. Uh, when you move to pure software, the speed, you know, you are generally, you are the limit. People are the limit, no, because technology uh, today for sure, but, but seven years ago already allowed us to go super fast, no. And you could see that um, the, um, 
understanding uh, of concepts, the alignment, the discussion, the egos of persons uh, and the collaboration was the main blocker. Um, other, otherwise, you generally have enough data uh, to find what you need to um, discover and, and what takes time is decision making, you know, making the right decisions, obviously. I, I do say this because when all these items are in, a, in harmony and they are well aligned, the speed can be can create uh, vertigo, no? Um, and I, as I was saying, I, I felt that I had gone through high speed, but all of a sudden I was in an environment with 180 people, lack of processes, lack of tools, decisions to be made, uh, over 100 millions of investment about to, to come, which was great news, no? And we had to move very, very fast, no? So I've seen people like myself who thought that understood what was the challenge. I didn't, but I managed to cope with reality. And that to me was super stimulating, was a great challenge. I cannot uh, lie to you. Some days I was like, what the hell have I done? What did I join this craziness, no? I'm not capable, I'm a fraud. All these years learning what I've learned and working so hard and I've been working for 12 hours in a row and there's still no way that I can catch up, no? In, in, in my personal experience, that was super relevant because in, in a very short span of time, I learned a lot. I learned how to implement an ATS almost overnight. I learned on how to automate. I was alone and until I could hire the next person, it was more my limitation of time rather than having the headcount approved. Uh, but I was trying to find ways to hug the system. How can I do more with less? How can I do more with less? How can I squeeze my time? No? I couldn't work more than 12, 13, 14 hours every day. No? And for a period of time, I did it. It is true that I was in the late 20s, early 30s. Um, uh, my wife was also doing something similar, working very hard. I had no kids. I don't have kids now, but you know, I, I didn't have kids either before. Um, and... I was having so much fun that for me, I bridge my passion of learning uh, people, curiosity uh, at the personal level with my profession. But not everyone can afford doing that. No, I, I, if, I, if I were in a situation back then that I had had kids or I had had different reality, maybe I wouldn't have afford for that. And the reality is like these kind of companies at some point might require that. I'm not saying that this is healthy or that this is good. I'm just saying that it's, uh, it's, it's a reality I've experienced. And the more I talk to people that have gone through that, the more they have a shared uh, idea of what they went through. No? The difference is but that for some of us, it was fun. And it was a massive learning in a very short span of time. And for others, it was very painful. No? That's, was, that's why I, I was sharing that some people might look startups and software and technology seen as something very cool. But it's very important also to learn if you are in early stage or if you are in a more mature stage, because the requirements might be different. And not, not all the companies are really good at explaining that. It's not that they want to hide things, in my experience at least. Um, it's many times that it's their normal. And, and then when you want to compare normal, your normal standards might be, you know, very different from their normal reality because they got used to that. So for me, that's a very important caveat, no? For people to do research 
uh, on what do these companies need, what is their reality, and what is the the price that they are ready to pay, no? Uh, in terms of their career development or even having fun, no? Because otherwise, it's not going to be fun at all. It's going to be painful. No? Um, that, that is a um, probably one of the most important points. Uh, the second point for me was a learning as well that I made uh, the hard way as well at Seidel, which was because I'm very passionate, I'm an idealistic person, I'm a bit naive. Um, I was not in a leadership team at the beginning, but uh, you know, the last six, seven months, um, 10 months at Seidel, I, I was part of the leadership team. So I was able to see what before I, I was smelling a little bit, but I was not mindful, 100%. Um, and I realized that I didn't like what I saw. And I, I, I decided to voice my concerns in a very constructive, in a very respectful way, but voice my concerns. Um, and I can tell you that uh, it was not easy. Um, don't get me wrong, there was... There were some people that were fantastic professionals, fantastic people. I'm still in touch with them. But some of the people probably they had, even if they were not fully aware, they had their personal agendas. no. Uh, and um, their objective was not making the best for the company or making the best for the team or making the best for everyone there that was believing in a dream. Talking about an electronic boating company. So the mission of that company, it's super powerful. It's super, super sexy. no. Like it, it can be really addictive. And some people... Uh, genuinely and strongly believed uh, on that. Um, at some point, I realized that no matter how hard you try, no, if you do, if you have put all the elements to give visibility to uh, some dysfunctions, and back then a book that helped me a lot was uh, Patrick Lencioni's uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I realized that I was like not capable, and it was okay to accept that I was not capable. No, until I accepted that probably I don't know, maybe I was not good enough, or I was not capable enough. But I was like throwing uh, water to, to a tank full of holes um, that didn't make a lot of sense because I, I was burning myself out. No? So this is to, to, to say that in a startup that is growing fast, that can have a very um, meaningful uh, mission, ambition, can be very appealing for people like me. And you also need to be uh, try to be realistic, no? Because one thing is what you connect with emotionally, and then there's the, the reality, no? That was my my main my main experience there, no? Like then I've been lucky to be in other projects that, that have gone through changes, ups and downs, uh, but uh, but it has been different, no? Like at, at least there's been more alignment, no? In what were the expectations at this level? And I think that also has to do a lot with. And I think in the previous podcast, we, we talked about that as well with some of our guests, you know, the importance of self-reflection also in terms of from an individual perspective, but also from a company perspective, knowing what you're hiring for, knowing what you're getting hired for, and really reflecting on your capabilities. Um, sometimes, you know, certain things are just not your strength, as you said. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing them or you're never going to be able to do that, but you have to be able to reflect also on your strength and kind of see that in the, in the whole organization. That leaves me actually to, top, to two topics that I would like to address with you. Um, one of it would be also 
the change uh, that companies are currently going through, you know, even startups right now or bigger organizations are realizing that the importance of being able to creating or designing an organization that is able to cater individuals needs, right? Every person is different. Every person's going to have a different driver. So it also comes down to the company's responsibility to create that framework within their own framework that, that people can operate in. Nonetheless, it, it still has a very important topic that a lot of people don't address. And I think you touched up on that, but we, do, we didn't use the exact definition being imposter syndrome. People coming in feeling that you're not good enough, um, that you feel like you're a fraud. And, and it happens quite often. Why? Because expectations are extremely heavy out there. You, you constantly reflect, you constantly feel that the competition's high. But that's a topic that I know you're personally very passionate about as well. And I would love to talk about this in, in more of the context of, of mental health and in these start in these uh, fast growing organizations. What does that actually mean? You're definitely way better explaining the de definition of, of imposter syndrome and help us through understanding a little bit what it means in real life. How does it manifest in, in an everyday life of an organization? A really good, great question. Uh, I hope I'll be I'll be able to to explain succinctly because it can it could take the whole the whole uh the whole conversation um i think that um people learn and and make decisions mainly out of two motivators there might be others but mainly it's out of happiness um dash love uh which is very powerful and the other one is fear no um, and many of the great things we have you know, in the modern technology uh, didn't come out of happiness and love, came out of fear to protect from something uh, that was a threat or was perceived as a threat. You know? mm. um, I think that's important to know as a starting point because the imposter syndrome by default seems something terrible and very bad. I think that it's if used in the in the right way, meaning that you are mindful of it, and that you create you know the safe uh, environment uh, for you to be mindful when you are being too harsh on yourself, it's always gonna keep you awake. It's always gonna keep your curiosity uh, high, and it's also gonna help you know to 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 improve. Um, I'm not saying that it's good to have it, but if you have it. Be mindful and use it to your own uh, benefit. Uh, otherwise, it can destroy you, right? I, I was reading a while ago about, I think it was Blashen CEO who was one of the publicly known imposter syndrome, no? And he felt he was a fraud. You, you tell me about Blashen, no? If it's a, you know, a successful company that everyone knows or not. But it's, the, the difference is that this relies only on you, no? Like, uh, and generally, are the people that are more self-demanding uh, um, the ones that have more tendency uh, to go through that. If you put that into a cocktail, no, that you have a company that moves very fast, the opportunities are all there. It's fresh fruit hanging out of the tree that you can go and pick and enjoy. It's delicious. Um, and then you combine it with a, a demanding uh, environment, call it competitor, call it an inspiring leader, call it a manager, call it you can have the perfect recipe for making it super engaging and you don't realize. Everyone can, can, can think about the negative effect of a bad leader, a bad manager, bad conditions, uh, you know, bad economic situation. That's clear. That seems evident. No? So it's something that 
some people are better than others, but we have been educated uh, through, through millions of years of evolution to protect ourselves against. Um, but when things are not that evident, when things are even fun, it can create that sort of addiction. No? It can be like a, a, a drug, no? like you don't realize, but you're becoming more addicted, be it because of, um, I don't know, uh, personal or psychological needs of approval or uh, ba um, validation or reward. And we are machines since we are kids uh, from dad and mom uh, of getting their approval, their validation. I'm not a psychologist myself, so I'm not going to expand further on this. Uh, or vid on, on we want to progress and we want to grow and we have a playground out there. And the more we do, the more we see that we learn things and the more we advance. No? So it can also connect with some personal ambitions or some uh, personal will to achieve uh, targets and seeing yourself making an impact and seeing others recognizing that, ooh, that's that's dangerous. No, like that's very rewarding. No, so for me it comes more from knowing knowing yourself. No, uh, and the more you know yourself, the more you know your personal values. Uh, what what really you know like stimulates you from an intellectual perspective, and what makes you feel serene. No, um, I think that. I've gone many times through the moment that my head is boom, 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 and I'm sitting in front of my wife having dinner, and she's saying, "You are not here. Where are you?" No, uh, I'm not proud of saying that. No, uh, but when I have, you know, an environment that helps me, you know, like keeps me accountable for saying, "Hey, I know you love your work. I know you're passionate about what you do, but you are not here. We have very few hours of present time, no, uh, that we can spend together." This is very important that you realize that you have these uh, safety checks that help you realize. Otherwise, I can tell you that you can become a workaholic, obsessive person. And uh, by having the imposter syndrome, it's like an endless thing. You will always discover an area of yourself as a professional that you are not good enough. Uh, you can discover an area that you have worked a lot to be close to a nine, but there's always room to be a 10. And there are always books to read. There are always people to meet. There are always, and so on, and so on, and so on. No? It can be very harsh. It, it, it's not about being complacent, which might be the, the flip side, uh, but it's about finding, you know, like making a compromise, no? And what, what are the limits? Uh, what keeps you healthy? Uh, in, in my case, it's like listening to music, for example, no, like it's the thing or spending time with family and friends, but listening to music as an individual thing, I do to somehow be mindful and, and, and connect back with, with myself and being, you know, like I can even feel how my revolutions go a little bit down and I, my voice goes down. No, that's very important for me. Um, but I think that you have to be mindful if, if you have this. Uh, imposter syndrome, I, I think it's very important. Otherwise, it, it, it can be very, very painful. Um, Albert, this, this was very, very insightful, simply because you provided so many practical <clears throat> examples, right, of how one person can actually identify what they're going through, and also referring back to a little bit of the childhood, how we grow up, you know, the constant need of approval, need and, 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 and hope for reward or validation and appreciation. These can be very, very strong drivers. 
And I appreciate that you actually use the word dangerous. It's, it's important to find that stuff, right? And, and you mentioned one thing, um, which I think is a really great expression for this. You have to have your safety checks in place. Since you already touched on these safety checks from an individual perspective, and unfortunately, we're slowly coming to the, to the end of the, the, the podcast conversation, I have two questions left. One would be if you could help us with safety checks, so to say, but understanding it more from the company perspective. How can the company have these safety checks for their teams in place so that they can take care of them and kind of you know, um, protect them from themselves at this point or from the syndrome, from the imposter syndrome that can really significantly influence not only their work life, but as you said, their private life and private relations as well. Uh, it's a really good question. I, I will share what worked for me. Um, while I learned recently, uh, probably a year and a half ago, that f in, during my entire career, since I've been a, a manager and, and, and I started managing people a while ago, um, I made the huge mistake, which was trying to replicate uh, with others what worked for me. You know, like the famous treat others like you'd like to be treated. I think that's a huge mistake. And I learned that you need to treat others like they want to, to be treated. You know? um, to do that, you need to build trust and you, you need to build rapport. Build trust doesn't mean being the best friend manager, okay? Even if I prefer to have, you know, a joyful conversation because I generally like to, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, have fun uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm like a, a big kid that likes uh, to, 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 you know, like make jokes and, and have fun with people. Um, I think it's more about, being respectful with others and, and educating others, especially those that you see a tendency to, to have an imposter syndrome um, on, on, um, on a way to raise the hand uh, and, and know that this is serious. No? Like, I'll tell you what worked for me. What worked for me is like genuinely having an open conversation, one-to-many and one-to-one -one, uh, with the people that I thought, not first with all my teams, like, hey, I don't know everything. Um, I don't expect to know everything, uh, but I do expect to, to be able to engage on meaningful conversations. And I do expect uh, you to raise a hand if something is not working for you. Educate me as, as a manager because I don't know everything. Even if we are using um, relational styles, methodologies, like uh, there's a, a model called Rich, similar to DISC, um, that we like a lot and we, we implemented a type firm. Uh, we train all the managers to do that, knowing the differences, how people do use a style in a preference, even if we have different uh, styles and we all have the four styles that this methodology refers to, you have a preference for one and another. So giving some guidelines on how to use that is very useful. Um, what it's really useful is when you can engage uh, into this uh, trust-based uh, relationship. You can speak about that openly and you can, you know, set expectations, no? Like, hey, my, these are my expectations. This is why I mean, use examples. Ideally, real case examples, no? To, to have a benchmark and iterate and, and build on top of it, no? Like this way people can, okay, what you mean is this? Yes. When I'm asking you on Slack at 7.30 p.m. something, it's because I want to bomb, take it out from my head. It's not because I want, is if, if you respond five minutes later, uh, this is not what I am expecting, no? Don't get me wrong. Some days I might have an urgency. I might even call you if needed. But by default, does this work for you? 
I check Slack by default. Okay, maybe an email is better. Maybe how do I do that? Because I'm, I don't want to say something and then my actions mean something different. No, so that I start saying the nice things, but then uh, I push you to behave in a in a different way. No, having that level of conversations or or when, I don't know, like uh, in a weekend. No, like sometimes I work in a weekend because I'm having fun. I'm reading. I try not to share things with my teams, but from time to time, I might have sent an email and, and explicitly, this is not urgent. If you read it, I don't need any feedback by that day. Sometimes when I got feedback from people saying, hey, I meant it. I was not expecting you to reply to that. And, you know, like if there's an urgency, I, I, I will let you know. So for me, this bit is very important, no? And, and asking a lot, no, people, hey, is this after a period of time? Um, because some people might build trust in a very short span of time. Some people might need months to do that. No, so when you see that happening, um, encouraging people um, to say, "Hey, is this working well enough for you?" Yes. No. What could I do different? How could I help you to, you know, like uh, I don't know. I, I I I like doing that pretty much ad hoc to every person because it comes by nature to me. But what I would say is at least talking openly about that. This is how I behave. This is what I really mean. This is what is really important. These are my expectations. And if you mean that you want feedback at 7.30, be explicit. Uh, if you don't want to, be explicit and, and try to act on it. But also have the guidelines right in place that allow <clears throat> you to really understand what, what can and cannot be asked, how they can actually react. And, and the fact that you mentioned being explicit, because everyone has especially lately in modern world, the freedom to be themselves, right? And also to operate the way they are. Being happy means something different at work for, for everyone else, right? As you said, you're very engaged. You, you spend time with that on the weekend and that's your choice. And that choice can be left to other people as well of how they want to operate. But I think there was one point that you really mentioned that I really want to emphasize one more time is is being explicit that your behavior should not and is not expected to influence the other person's behavior in a way that it can harm them. I think that's so, so important. And the fact that you're in that leadership position and you're leading by example, that's exactly how we're going to be able to change the, the, the way, you know, the new modern world, the modern working places is being perceived right now from a mental health perspective. That actually leads me to my, my last question. This was more about a request because you touched on so many interesting topics that I feel that a lot of people don't know enough about. Could you maybe give us some recommendations in terms of authors or blogs or any material that anyone from our audience would be interested in could go to and basically learn a little bit more about um, either uh, you know how to, how to build trust, how to communicate, imposter syndrome. You mentioned Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is an amazing classic, I have to say. that That's a must for everyone to, to learn. But I think this would be very useful for, for our audience and Step Zero family to really get to the bottom of the, the knowledge that you're sharing and you're also exploring as a professional and individual yourself as well. Um, I, I, I would love, I'm not, like I shared uh, since the beginning, I'm not an expert in the topic, so I read, I follow some people that I like. And I will share in a second. But before you ask me about recommendations or, you know, how are we seeing the challenges uh, since uh, we move overnight, no, almost working from home. I think the topic we have just been talking about, it's very important, especially when working from home, because we didn't learn how to work from home. Uh, I've, I, I know people, I'm working with people that have worked from home for years. And you, you see that. 
the kind of discipline, the kind of rigor. Uh, I myself, um, I, I've struggled to disconnect, to separate one thing. I'm, I'm working from my dining room uh, and my wife is finishing a PhD. She's taking the, the office space because she needs to really focus and read all day long. Um, but uh, it's, it's difficult to, to really disconnect, no? And, and what I'm doing, for example, is on a Fridays, I'm, dis I'm dismantling the table and moving the laptop, the screen, everything to the office. And if I need to work or do something, I just use the laptop, no? But I'm trying to find my new normality and building my rituals, no? Like stopping for lunch, uh, going for a walk, now that we can go for a walk, or doing some, I mean, adapting the new rituals so that I can make sure that uh, uh, I am mindful of these things. Otherwise, having this tendency of work, 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 I, I, I can fall in my own trap. Jumping onto the, the question you were asking, I, I mentioned the five dysfunctions of the team as a, as a must uh, that I would really recommend. There's another book that helped me a lot uh, that I uh, reread partially from time to time uh, that is called uh, Radical Candor uh, by Kim Scott. Um, it's more about managers um, on how to be an effective manager and how to give feedback, on how to master giving feedback. And I think that feedback, it's the cornerstone of any healthy modern culture um, that wants to succeed at scale. It's simple, it's for free, it's a gift. If you educate an organization on, on to give feedback, but always, huh? it's, this is not a manager giving feedback to the employee. And the importance of the radically candid feedback, no, that I might give you a feedback that you don't like to hear, but I'm, I'm giving this feedback because I do care about you. And this is genuine. And you train yourself and you have the, the safety net of a community as a manager to also discuss with your peers on saying, hey, I'm having an issue with that person. I really care about the person. I just want to help that person improve. And you know we're people. We don't have only the span of time we have at work. We have family. We have friends. We have issues. We have the need to socially be fulfilled, be happy. We have different moments in our life. No work is just a part of it, but it's a very visible one. No, that uh, we want to make an impact. We want to shine. We want to make money. We want to be happy. We want to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, no. So if we create some conventions uh, around feedback it's gonna be easier that you can voice when you have an issue that we can try to find um, a similar language to discuss a topic and that we can show that even if at some point we need to part ways and we can still care and do it in a human way. No? Um, that's a good learning you can get out of, uh, out of that book, in my opinion. I would recommend it to everyone, not only to people managers, but also to any, any single person. It's super, super useful. And it's also a skill that you can use in your daily life, right? In private life, at the end of the day, it's conversations and being able to be honest and transparent about what's going on in, in your life. Albert, with that, I really, I, did I interrupt you? Please continue. No, 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 no. And then I was going to say that follow people like you, no? Like you're starting, but it looks super promising. Uh, be mindful, no? There are plenty of blocks out there. Not all the blocks are really good, but you know, like, Keeping an eye open, no, to to podcasts, to blogs, not looking for the the new black every now and again, but trying to find those people that, unlike me, they are really experts in a field that they have been working on that field for a long time. Um, that what they say is relevant. It might not always sound 
like what you would expect or what you would like, but try to open and listen to different angles. No, like I think that we're losing this a little bit. No, so we have lots of information available, but sometimes I've discovered myself uh, um, trying to listen to what I want to listen or trying to listen to things that might validate my assumptions. No, and I think that what makes us unique as humans is when we try to expand our horizons no? and try to understand different angles that by default might be totally antagonic uh, to, to what we think it's good. But understanding others, this is through empathy, this is through uh, inclusivity as well. No? So if we can take uh, the, make the effort and, and, and have the discipline to do that, this is very helpful and, and would help us also to create better workplaces no? where we are more mindful and try to understand very different realities. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more that the same topic is going to look different for everyone, especially when it's something so personal as, as mental health or well-being of an individual. And I guess you basically just explained also our mission and vision of what we're trying to actually build here is a community. No matter how you refer to mental well-being at work, it, you don't have to validate it. It's there. We want to talk about it. We, under, we want to understand your view and potentially learn from that. And that's only possible thanks to individuals like yourself and our, our previous and upcoming guests as well. And it's very important for us um, that you know that, that your passion and love for people and, and the work that you do has definitely helped us. Um, and I'm 100% that it's going to help our, our Step Zero community as well. And it's, it's really valuable information. Many so, thanks. Um, just for a Step Zero family, guys, we'll make sure that we refer all the recommendations that we have received from Albert and also his contact details so that you can reach out to him and have a conversation of what we can do as individuals and companies better. So Albert, I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you very much for your time. And guys, um, we look forward to having you tune in for our next conversations as well. We'd love to hear your feedback. And thank you for your time and effort in helping us change the way mental health is being viewed and perceived in the modern workplace. Thank you guys. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye.